Having car problems? Well, with Rhoda, getting them fixed is as easy as ordering takeout. They'll come pick up your car for free, do any repair or maintenance needed, and return it right to your driveway. They'll even give you a complimentary video inspection of your car so you can see what needs to be done. Perfect for those of us that maybe aren't so car savvy. Book your appointment online at roda.com. And lucky for you, CityCast listeners get a 20% discount on any service for up to $100 off. Just use the code CityCast20. Today on CityCast DC, the DC Council this week has agreed to overhaul the city's ancient criminal code. Not everyone is thrilled about it, including the mayor and the police chief. Lead producer Priyanka Tilve and audio producer Julia Karen are here with me to break that down. Plus, we're talking Thanksgiving plans and where to watch the World Cup. Today is Friday, November 18th, 2022. I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast DC. All right, so let's talk about the bigger picture about the city's criminal code. The one on the books, you may not know, dates from 1901. It was written by Congress. Hi. Uh, and it includes things about like scolds and whether ball playing in alleys is legal. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Oh, my God. Are you saying that that was illegal? That's illegal in our current code? Sorry, kids. Ooh. No fun for you. Um, and uh, deals with care and feeding of livestock. And it also is like fairly unclear about a lot of more current things. So this was part of the genesis. Uh, and this is something that's like, there's not a whole lot of like political disagreement about this, that it's like, we could use some, something a little clearer. It'll make it easier for prosecutors to prosecute and defenders to defend and uh, and everyone. It's been in the process for years. There's been a commission uh, engaged with it and they've taken a pretty big a whack at changing things up. It's also engaged in some reforms that are not, you know, universally agreed upon. You can get a, basically a jury trial for any, even a misdemeanor that is has jail time. It's much easier to do that now. This makes the courts pretty worried because they're going to need a lot more jurors. At some point, they were saying they would need seventy thousand more. Seventy thousand more jurors. I don't know what yeah. that. Me- I don't know what that means over the course of a year. But like they say that that's going to be like that. Because of all of the people who are now going to be requesting jury trials, there are going to be 210 additional trials every year, which means 70,000 more jurors. And they think that that's going to cost almost $400,000 to summon and process and pay them. So We ain't got the judges. We ain't got the jurors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I'm always a little when, – when, when people who have uh, budgets to manage and organizations to run cite numbers like that, that may be sort of a worst-case scenario. But that's, that is a thing out there. They've uh, eliminated most of the mandatory uh, minimum sentences, um, which was a sort of war on crime thing. They've also lowered some maximum sentences, including for, uh, for carjackings, robbery, for like bad stuff, the stuff that like, we can all agree on uh, is bad and stuff that is going up right now. So this has caused like the mayor, the police chief do not like this in social media right-wing politics, et cetera. It's kind of like, look at these people, crime's going up and what are they doing there? They're reducing penalties. That's obviously the, the, the proponents of this say that's actually not what's really happening because those maximum sentences are very rarely given out. But there is a sort of philosophical thing at the core of this about, about punishment and or do we as a democracy 
send an appropriate message about how seriously we take bad, violent stuff. So this is what's going on. And it's a, you know, it is a, another sort of interesting Rorschach moment for like DC where the dynamic is really left wing versus center left. And this is a, a thing where the council ultimately is overwhelmingly gone for it. It's kind of a, an interesting moment. Uh, I kind of like the idea that there's uh, rules about alley games uh, on the <laughs> books, um, but but I guess we'll have to give those up. Yes. I mean, it is quaint. Yeah. I mean, so I saw that this isn't going to take effect until 2025. Right. Also, heads up, everyone. I'm so sorry. I don't know what kind of construction they're doing on my street, but not a fan. You might hear some buzzing. <laughs> Maybe it's kids playing alley games. It, it mm. might be kids playing alley games. <laughs> it's possible. So so I saw that this isn't going to come into effect until 2025. Is there like a phase in period? Like how do you fa- do you phase in a criminal code or does it just like snap happen? I think that the phase in is going to be in terms of hiring judges and training police officers. One of the reasons that the police chief is a little bit concerned about this is that he's like a new criminal code means having to retrain every single officer. Um, And so I, I think that that's what they mean. That's what they're planning to use these three years for. But I mean, no one can say that they didn't think this through, right? I mean, the commission has been working on this for 16 years. So you'd hope that they've considered all of the factors Correct. in writing and up so this code. Where there are disagreements, they're actually just disagreements. They're not mm-hmm. things, you know, ill thought through. That's the sort of uh, thorniest of political issues where, you know, really person A thinks there should be uh, much more punishment for violent crimes than person B does. At a certain point, they're not going to convince each other. The uh, establishment, such as it is, is going to line up for this. And the, like the U.S. attorney made a statement saying, basically, hey, I've got some problems with uh, these reforms, but I'm so glad this is happening. I think the the desire for like a 21st century non-antique code outweighs Um, issues people may have with one measure or another within it. Ultimately, you can't have a hundred-year-old criminal code just because you can't come to agreement on how every single crime is meant to be prosecuted. We're never going to come to that agreement. So you kind of have to just move forward at some point. Yeah. And it's again, I I think, um, you know, given that we're in an environment where crime has gone up in D.C., voters' feelings of unsafety have come to the fore. I'm curious about how these will affect politics going forward. Crime was such an enormous part of city politics in the 80s and 90s and American politics in the 80s and 90s, and then sort of disappeared as crime plummeted. There's, I think, a class of politicians in Washington, a whole generation, I should say, who have never had to deal with like the general public that is afraid and perhaps irrational due to that fear about their physical safety. And that that did not really shape the uh, election season we've just come through, but I'm not confident it's always going to be that way. Yeah, and I mean, I, I do think that a lot of people in the city are concerned about crime, and it'll be interesting to see how the response to this criminal code plays out because you do have, again, some people saying like a, a new criminal code means that the city is is paying attention to crime and trying to adjust the way we respond to crime. But then there are other people that are saying this new criminal code is lax in some ways, um, which people who are worried about crime don't want to hear. No, right. And it could pretty easily be demagogued. It hasn't, again, happened yet. And I, I hope because it 
will really suck to live in a place where crime becomes a, a demagogy issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it hasn't become that yet. This is a fairly uh, courageous thing to do in the middle of a crime increase that could could easily give traction to demagogues. Yeah, that's true. It is good to see the city council doing something that's necessary, despite the fact that it might be unpopular. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also going to be one of these things where we like wait and see what happens after 2025 when this actually gets installed. Like, does it actually work? Does it drive crime down? Does it actually manage what, you know, people expect of police officers, of public safety and stuff like that, too? So it'll be interesting to see, I think. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. All right, now it's time for Julia's Sports Corner. Hey, Julia. Hi, guys. We are going to talk about the World Cup. It's starting Sunday. The first U.S. game is Monday. Um, Julia, I'm sorry. I'm not going to ask you to talk about, like, soccer itself, but can you talk to us a little bit about where to watch? This is an awesomely international city, and I assume there is a bunch of cool stuff to do. Yeah, so I talked to Jose Umania. He's a digital editor for WTOP. And on the side, he writes about the Washington Spirit, the local women's pro soccer team. He also covers DC United, the local men's soccer team, which we've talked about before. And he basically said that, like, because DC is such an international city, there's a bunch of different things to do within the city to watch, you know, the world's game. You know, I was a baby when 94 happened, but I can remember my father telling me about the fan zone areas near RFK and how welcoming it was. And you could see Italians, Brazilians co-mingling, coalescing just for the love and the passion for this sport. And so, yeah, DC is just the world brought together for the sport. He had recommended a couple of different bars to go to. So it depends on kind of the vibe that you're going for. Like, do you want it to be more mellow? Do you want to get beer spilled all over you at like 9 a.m.? Because that's when these games are going to happen and stuff. Um, Do you want to go with kids? Do you want to watch in a suburb? Do you want to watch in the city proper? Um, He basically said, you know, whatever kind of vibe you're looking for, there is something that you can do to go and watch in the city, which I'm really excited about. If you're a fan that wants that rowdy atmosphere, I think Astro Beer Hall over at G Street in Northwest, that's probably going to be your most rowdiest atmosphere to go watch a match. Another place, Public Bar Live over on 18th, that's another spot where at night it turns into a nightclub type of place. But when it comes to matches, it really does have the atmosphere. I've been there for a couple of UFC fights and it really does have a good atmosphere. Another one that recently I've tried to attend more often is Metro Bar. It's affiliated with the Washington Spirit and they have really uh, stepped up their game uh, when it comes to showing soccer matches. It's outside, there's food trucks and it's a very more chilled environment too. I think 
DC has the plethora of bars and restaurants where depending on the environment you're looking for, you're going to find it. And so Astro, if you're looking for rowdy, Penn Social, if you're trying to find that in between, and if you're just trying to chill, relax, be outdoors, it might be Metro Bar. Back in my NBC Sports Washington days, I got sent to Astro Beer Hall to cover the Women's World Cup. They were playing France, and it was like a Tuesday at 3 p.m. or something, or like 2 p.m. Um, and did I get paid by my employer to get beer hucked at me <laughs> by people when we scored? Yes. Yes, I did. I was also there for a live blog, which was fun. But yeah, Astro Beer Hall is a fabulous place to go and watch. Um, Wondergarten, I believe, is also doing some viewings. Any beer garden around the city is probably going to do stuff. One of his recommendations, which is one of my favorite places for trivia, actually, is Metro Bar uh, because they're outdoors. They have a bunch of different kinds of food trucks. So if you're looking for kind of, you know, different types of food in addition to, you know, watching on, they have like this mural uh, or blank space area above um, their bar. I don't know if any of you have been there, um, but sometimes they'll just paint it white and they can project stuff on it. So if they project a game or multiple games on that white space. It'll be a pretty interesting and rowdy time. I'm very excited. The one that I'm really excited about is that um, DuPont Circle, like in the circle itself, they're going to be streaming it for free on Monday, um, which is, again, the first U.S. game. They're playing against Wales. And I think that that's going to be a good time. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's going to be a blast. I think it's really cool to kind of see the city unite around a thing that is so international because I think we think of DC as like obviously where like American politics is at like the height of its powers, but it's also where international politics can sometimes be at the height of its powers. The Brig is having a France day and other bars, Inca Social, Duke's Groceries also having specific days for different teams. So I think if you really want to find that specific group a lot of these teams have specific fan groups that are city-based and they're pretty easy to find and like embassy row is a thing i would go to all of them except for maybe the usa england game that's one i might not want to go to because the the usa bracket it's all geopolitics baby i know i am so psyched about that i love when that happens for context the u.s bracket are you ready for this we've got wales uh england Love that for us. Do we hand them one of their greatest defeats since 1776? I would like to see it. And Iran. So yeah, Iran's the one I'm excited about. I don't think the U.S. and England have all too much beef anymore. But the U.S.-Iran game, I, I always think that people read into the geopolitics around games like that. And regardless of what happens, there is some sort of symbolism people are looking out for. I'm pretty psyched about that one. The USA has a supporters group. It's called the American Outlaws. Their official bar, Priyanka, you mentioned Astro Beer Hall, their official beer hall, the place where they watch games, if you specifically are a USA fan, is Astro Beer Hall. I imagine if you go online and search for like your local supporters groups of who's playing, they will list bars where you can go in the D.C. area. Also, I imagine like the D.C. bars are just going to list them generally, like because it's such an international area, like you will be able to find a game uh, and hopefully you'll be treated with respect and kindness even as people try to, you know, score and crush each other on the pitch. That's the goal. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I think that the World Cup, even if you're not from the countries that are playing, the World Cup is a big draw. Uh, and people that live in D.C., again, regardless of where you're from, tend to be interested in international politics. And um, I, for one, as we have talked about on this show a lot of times, I'm not really, really big on sports generally, but I love the World Cup. Um, also, I lived in Qatar for four years, so 
seeing how that city has transformed. And also the many controversial ways people are reacting to this World Cup is interesting for me. And I'm excited to see how that plays out over the next month. Yeah. Uh, For people who need a schedule for what games to watch, if you're a U.S. fan, here's what our bracket looks like. First game, as we've mentioned, Monday, November 21st, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The next game against England, November 25th, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then we play Iran on November 29th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So go to Astro Beer Hall. Go to DuPont Circle. Go to wherever your team is playing and have a good time. Yeah, and maybe prepare yourself to go to some other games too because unfortunately the U.S. men's team is not fantastic and I expect that these will be blowouts. <laughs> All right, and speaking of things that are global, actually, no, speaking of things that are not global, <laughs> that are uh, purely American, it's Thanksgiving and we want to talk pies. Well, I mean, pies, food, tradition, all of it. For the first time, I'm actually paying attention to the best pies in D.C. for Thanksgiving and where to get them. And there are some great options. First of all, I was at Sakusaku Flakery yesterday. I noticed that they have pies you can pre-order. If you want to do that, though, you've got to order them before Sunday. So get on that. Um, But they have a sweet potato pie and a pecan pie. Pecan pie is my personal favorite. And Sakusaku Flakery is one of the only places that I have seen um, in the city that is doing just like a straight pecan pie. A lot of places are doing pecan bourbon, which is like also great in its own way. But I'm a traditionalist when it comes to pecan pie. But if you want pecan bourbon pie, um, bread first is probably the best one to go to. And they also have some other specialty pies for the season, pumpkin and apple, as you would expect. And then the other pie that I would highly recommend is the Henry's Soul Cafe sweet potato pie, which is on U Street. Their sweet potato pie is famous. So if you're looking for one, that's the place to go. So like every year around this time, as a longtime uh regional lifestyle magazine editor i uh i helmed a lot of lists of like best place to get this and that and what if you don't want to cook and so on um and and pies and uh you know i always felt a little bad about it because my theory of uh thanksgiving and it's my favorite holiday in the world and one of the reasons is because you you kind of can't make it fancy right it can't really be rendered you know it's like gluttonous but not materialistic if if you know what i mean so much of our like gifting is, is over the top and so much of our like culinary culture is like really arty right now. And I sort of feel like uh, a too fancy pie is like off brand for Thanksgiving. I, I, yeah. I think, um, you know, it's like a turkey. Like you can't really, I mean, you can try, but you really can't make a turkey that fancy. Yeah, I agree. This is why I'm anti-pecan bourbon or even like chocolate pecan. It's like, just like let the flavor speak for itself, people. The the, yeah. the sweet flavor of like molasses and chess, yeah, which is basically just straight up sugar and corn syrup. You know what? It's not the healthiest, <laughs> but no one said Thanksgiving's about being healthy. That's true. That's I true. Mean, what else do you guys do for Thanksgiving? Like, I know we, my family does like a summit to decide the menu. I write the menu, and there's like jokes and political cartoons, which I feel like is a very DC thing to do. That is, the is menu so complicated. Cute? No, it's like we have inside jokes. Like my right, Karen family, let's should we have turkey or should we have turkey? <sighs> so, so that's part of it. Part of it is like we know the stuff that's going to stay the same, but there are like controversial tidbits. So, like at our summit, we basically were like, all right, desserts, how many pies, and which version of chocolate, and stuff like that. So, very excited for that. Last Thanksgiving, my family went full American. We got a deep fryer. 
Oh my we God. deep fried the turkey. We made deep fried Oreos. We Oof. made corn dogs, hush puppies, the nine yards, and we loved it. So this year, we're going to have all the traditional Thanksgiving foods, the green bean casserole, the cranberry sauce, the stuffing, and also all of our deep fried stuff. Oh, my God. Um, it's going to be a feast. Wait, are you allowed to just deep fry a turkey in D.C.? I guess I should consult the new criminal code. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I would say if you're someone who's into deep frying a turkey, like, please, 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 like, do it in a safe area. Have a fire extinguisher ready, like, have everything you need ready to go. Have DC fire and EMS on speed dial. <laughs> yeah. I'll confess, we did this out in the Virginia suburbs. We did it in a backyard, and we did have a fire extinguisher at the ready. Good. Got to do it with open space. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to think of, like, is there anything elaborate? I, did? I mean, during the pandemic, I spatchcocked a turkey. That's exciting. For people who don't want to go through all of that, though, we do also have a list um, that our newsletter writer, Kayla, put together in our newsletter. So if you haven't subscribed to that, you should because you'd get tips like this. She put together a list of places to to go out for Thanksgiving dinner if you're so inclined. They're all of varying price points. So the most expensive option is the Waldorf Astoria. There is a mimosa station, a raw shellfish bar, vegetarian options, a million desserts. Uh, it's all buffet style, but it costs $200 a person. So, you Whoa. know, there's, there's that end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is Bistro du Jour, which is on the wharf. They're doing an a la carte feast. It's $29 a person. And the apple crumb pie that's included is from Maze Dar, which is, oh. I think, one of the best bakeries in the city. She's got a bunch of options in the middle as well. If you'd like to check those out, we'll link to it in our show notes. Nothing nothing says uh, autumn feasts like vodka and orange juice <laughs> and raw shellfish. Fair enough. I don't know. Are you guys thankful for anything this Thanksgiving? It is our last roundup before the holiday. So thankful for all of you guys. Well, we're Aww. thankful for you too, Julia. For real. I'm thankful for being able to travel again this year, which is really exciting. I did my oh, first yeah. international travel since the pandemic earlier this year, and it felt so good to get back to it. Are you traveling for Thanksgiving? Just as far as Fairfax. <laughs> <laughs> Which in D.C. parlance is, yes, you are traveling a very yeah, I mean, long distance. I'm, I'm going across the river. So across, it's very Crossing the river for Thanksgiving, as our forefathers intended. Well, look, at for the people who are going to be spending their Wednesday hightailing at someplace by a train or plane, um, you all ought to listen to our episodes about Union Station in Dulles. You should. Really exciting, yeah. exciting stuff. <laughs> yeah, we'll link to those in the show notes, too. Check them out. But look, I think I think DC is also um, great on Thanksgiving. And pro tip: Smithsonian museums are open mm. and pretty empty. Really, I did not know that. That is a pro tip. All right, and that is it. That's it for today here on CityCast DC. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilvey. Our producer is Julia Karen. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote Stemmerman, and our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a shout on Twitter or Instagram to help more people hear about us. You know, it's all part of the Thanksgiving spirit. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Bye.